Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Today's guest is Jill Nelson. A driven entrepreneur passionate about building a one-of-a-kind company, Jill has grown Ruby Receptionists into a four-time winner of Fortune Magazine's top five best small companies to work for, an Inc. Magazine Best Workplaces 2017, and a Portland Business Journal's fastest growing companies in Oregon for the past 10 years. Really amazing. Today, Ruby's 450 employees provide live receptionist services to more than 6,500 small businesses throughout North America and relentlessly pursue Ruby's mission of creating real, meaningful connections to deliver memorable customer and employee experiences. Welcome, Jill. Well, thank you for having me, Paul, and I appreciate the kind intro. I'm excited to to talk to you today. It's great to have you on. Well, I want you to tell our listeners uh, really what is Ruby Receptionist all about, kind of how you got started. Um, And I remember uh, you started doing that work yourself, right? That's right. That's right. I have spent time as a receptionist once upon a time. And um, yes, the original idea um, had me had me answering the phones right alongside my my uh, team members. Um, but today, Ruby is we're a virtual receptionist company, as you mentioned. So we leverage some really cool technology to deliver completely personalized and completely on the fly controllable um, caller experiences for small business owners, so that they can. Um, win business by making sure every one of their callers is is taken care of, and they can focus on what they need to do, um, knowing that we're we're taking care of their most valuable asset. Um, and you know, today it's all integrated with everyone's mobile app, and so we have all kinds of insightful knowledge. But when we started, I guess that's close to let's say 2003. That's 14 years ago. It was much more of a traditional service. The original idea was to open um, what we now look at the co-working spaces like a WeWork, um, but back then it was a more traditional executive suites concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had no money and no business experience, so I couldn't find a landlord willing to build out Class A office space. So some sort of adopted and pivoted from day one and, and tried to take the, the value that we were providing from that concept and, and, and sort of tried to noodle on how could we continue to deliver that value even if we were remote. So it all worked out. So did you start in that uh, business, kind of the Regis concept? Uh, is that what you were doing? Yeah, that that was the original idea. Um, was I'm in Portland, Oregon. To, um, the Pearl District back then was this up and coming, um, lots of building going along, lots of co-working or live work space. And I thought it was just right for an, an executive suites, Regis type of concept. Yes. Yeah. And then how did it move from that to getting into the, the business of providing specifically receptionist services? Yeah. So when, when I got denied the opportunity for, you know, an entire floor of class, a office space, um, I started thinking about the, the, the other services that are that an executive suites provided, and back then it was receptionist service, it was administrative, uh, assistant work, and so it, we the original concept was all of those things. And I started thinking about okay, well, if we were receptionists, but the customers weren't there, how could we get the calls to the business employees, and and how could we really you know, help them and provide helpful information. And so really started noodling on that. And so probably had the receptionist side of the service offering 
operation more systematized and more thought out, and it took off. And so very quickly, all of the administrative services that we offered, we just we just stopped providing them. Mm-hmm. We just stopped offering and went with what worked. Yeah, just going to focus, right? Yeah. Um, and then at some point along the way, I think in the last few years, uh, we've talked about before because we've had you a, as a guest on the Small Giants Fishbowl, you told the mm-hmm. story about how you brought in a, a private equity partner and, uh, and actually told a very positive story about how that transition has gone. But I know uh, that would be really interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, at what point did you decide to, to do that? I remember having that opportunity um, back in 2010 in my own company, and I couldn't pull the trigger. I, I walked away because I felt that, that the culture of my company wouldn't survive mm-hmm. uh, that transaction. You've happened to have made that transition, done it in a really positive way. But what, what led to that original yeah. thought that you might need a partner? Yeah. Well, I think the original thought was um, that I didn't know um, what I personally wanted to do, you know, for the future. And so, um, there was just some opportunistic, um, you know, knocks on the door. So I decided to just explore what my options were and what Ruby's options were. Um, never, you know, never committing one way or another. Um, but by the, so I went, I actually ended up engaging an investment banker and went through a formal process, but by the end of the process, I had concluded, and I think rightly, that the future of Ruby, the future of the company itself, was in better hands with a proven, aligned private equity partner than if we just continued to go it alone. Um, and that is ultimately what caused me to, you know, flip and and go in that direction. And <laughs> and it's worked uh, out really well. And, um, yes. Yeah, you know what's what's interesting about that is the idea that uh, one that you were open to the opportunity, uh, so you had conversations, and all of us as we grow our businesses, at some point when we start to have some success, people do knock on the door, like you talked about, and uh, you selectively maybe have those conversations. So it's nice that you were open to that. And I think the other thing that that strikes me is that you seem to be kind of a lifelong learner and uh, have taken what those either those conversations or those experiences have brought you and have them really shape your own uh, business life over time. And it sounds like you you kind of started this from nothing um, in 2003. And so congratulations on 14 years of success. But I want to take you you. back to kind of how this all got started and talk about uh, Jill a little bit more. Right. So um, so when when was the first time that you realized uh, that you were a leader? Was it something in your childhood? How (laughs) how were you brought up? Uh, When did you think you might have this in you? Yeah. Well, if you were to ask me the question, when did I first realize I was an entrepreneur? I could have answered that question and given you, you know, a much earlier date. Um, <laughs> but how big I missed, like, and one of the reasons I'm super excited to talk to you today, and you know, and and I know that you're uh, that you frame these conversations around leadership, and it has taken me, you know, my entire career to realize it's all about leadership. So I was a late bloomer, and and. I, so I could tell you when I should have learned that I was a leader mm-hmm. and when I started this business and I wrote the business plan and as you mentioned, we have over 400 employees. So the whole concept is built on motivating and inspires, inspiring others to deliver on the service that you've designed. I 
launched the business, wrote the business plan, did everything and never once considered that employees would do anything other than you'd hire them for the wage you specified and they would mm-hmm. show up on time and do exactly what you asked and didn't consider training, didn't consider consider management. I certainly didn't think of, about leadership. I just assumed that people just did I should have known better because I certainly never did what people asked me to do. Um, so it took me a really long time. And um, there is there is the there is a pivotal moment in 2011 where we really the entire organization stretched itself and went beyond what probably collectively we thought we could do to, to get onto our own technology platform. And we did it ourselves and we had to transition in a really dramatic way where our service could never get turned off while we did this really dramatic behind-the-scenes feat. Um, And that probably gave me confidence that the organization itself, you know, really was, you know, spectacular. But it wasn't until somebody that, you know, we were over 100 employees and somebody um, treated me differently as a leader and treated me like I was, you know, on a pedestal. And I really questioned that. I'm like, what? I'm just me. I'm just, we're all just doing this thing. And, and, and somebody made the observation that people want some, but they need a leader. You know, if they're going to invest their time for a company, they want to invest it in somebody that they believe in that's taking them somewhere that they want to go. And, and that, um, and that that's my job is to be that leader and to step up and own it and be that person that people, you know, imagine that you might be if you're not up close every day. Yeah. So, so you're you're already now in business eight years uh before yes. you're th- th- this is happening. And you and you're yes. and it seems like the whole idea of what it meant to be a leader had to be reframed in your mind. Uh because you felt like, oh I just, you know, do what other people do. You hire them, you tell them what to do and they're happy yeah. to get a paycheck. Um yeah. all of a sudden you realize that uh that being a leader really isn't isn't about being on the pedestal, and even though they may have looked at you that way, it wasn't about being higher or more important. It was mm-hmm. about the fact that they were looking to you for guidance. Mm-hmm. They were looking to you for support and motivation, mm-hmm. and they were working for you. Uh, and that was uh, probably a role you were not used to. That's right. And 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 in addition, I think they were looking to me for principles and for you know for you know what is it that we stand for and, mm-hmm. and what am I showing up to work? You know, what am I investing my time in and, and is that worthwhile? You know? Well, you talked about the fact that you might've looked at yourself as an entrepreneur much earlier in yes. life. So, uh, are there, tell me what's, where that comes from or what happened in your yeah. childhood or how, how was yeah. it, you know, in terms of, um, being, uh, raised with you, your family. Uh, I'd love yeah. to hear about those experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my, I think I reflect a lot back on my upbringing and it was a really, really crazy environment, which is one of the reasons why I think I do thrive in a entrepreneurial environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, um, yeah, my parents, my, my dad was a civil engineer and very much about, you know, creating value and, and working hard, but he was quite absent in the family. And he actually, 
actually um, died of a heart attack um, mm. when I was 18. Um, and my mom was, and probably I get more of my creativity from her. She was a really avant-garde um, artist. And in fact, like I was not allowed coloring books growing up because it offended her if I was to color in between somebody else's lines. So I was allowed blank paper and um, easels and, you know, paints and every possible art supply, but um, never, you know, never something with rules. So I'm sure that shaped me. Um, but she actually suffered from mental illness. And when um, uh, right before my 16th birthday, ended up um, having to be um, commit herself into a, a mental institution. Mm. And so I became very um, on my own and independent and, and you know, had to learn to thrive in chaos and kind of sort things out and, and really understood, you know, my safety net um, got removed pretty early. Um, and it really, you know, for all of the, you know, things that you think, oh gosh, I would never want my, you know, 16 year old to have to go through something like that, I just feel so, um, you know, I, that whole, um, experience has given me strength and, and the ability to, you know, to thrive on my own and to have the confidence or willingness to just sort of live in chaos and the unknown. And, um, and I'm super thankful for it. What incredible experience, uh, to go through and, and like you said, sort of thrust into independence with your dad passing away and then um, your mom's mental illness. I, I think that's so telling, you know, the, the coloring book story. That's really amazing. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely uh, how your life has been developed on this essentially blank canvas that you've had the opportunity to, to draw upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when you said, you know, you, you're not necessarily good at following other people's rules either. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs find, you know, we just can't work for anybody else. So, exactly. uh, that, you know, we got to do our own thing. So the, I'm sure a lot yeah. of it, a lot of it came from there. Um, yeah. how about, how about, um, jobs you've had along the way, <laughs> uh, that were part of that development? Yes. And like, you know, like you just mentioned too, you know, I have been fired from my fair share of jobs, especially as a young adult. Um, but I will, you know, I, it's not necessarily the job, but there is a, there is a boss I had and he sticks out so clearly in my mind. And, and he is, he was a, he was my, my first real mentor out of college. I was selling computers for a living. I was a salesperson and I didn't really have my act together and know what it was I was doing. And he came in as a hired sales manager. So he was not the manager that I knew. And he came in and in the first day, and I was was like coming in late at work all the time. And he was able to sort of challenge me in a way that made me want to do better. But he, um, he, he instantly made me feel like he saw something special in me, but if I was going to show up, you know, after eight every day, I was not doing myself any favors and, and would be perceived differently. And he believed I could be the best salesperson, but this is what it's going to take. And, and he really got me to stretch myself and do things that I didn't think possible. And he asked me to do very hard things. And he was in a way critical, but in a way that I, I was able to, um, absorb it and, and learn from it. And so he stands to me as, um, you know, my, my biggest mentor in leadership. 
And another thing that he just always said was do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going Mm -hmm. to do it. And I think that's many people (laughs) who are respected mantras, um, but it's where I heard it from first. And to this day, I think that's a, that's key to success right there. So was he, was he one of the, your first real bosses, so to speak, um, at a school? That's amazing. Cause I actually thought you were going to tell a very negative story about the sales <laughs> manager, you know, who, uh, was beating you down. But you, what you said yeah. is that he actually challenged you and, and, uh, started to create opportunity for you to, to continue to learn and grow. That's, that's great. Um, can you think of a time where you may have learned one of these lessons from an unexpected source or maybe at an unexpected time? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so thinking about learning in unexpected places and I do think there's learning everywhere and I, I get little pings of ideas from all sorts of places. But one thing that, that, that question sort of brings back is, um, is, and now today we do our exit interviews, but when you let go what you would consider um, maybe a disgruntled employer, really a bad fit employee, so a complete non-performer that you think letting them go is completely justified. And then on their way out, they say something and maybe it's an anger or frustration. You expect it to be unreasonable and you realize actually that it's completely true. And that while most employees maybe look at all the great things you do and give the things that you don't do well a pass, you know, that disgruntled employee is still identifying the things that you could do better. And there was one years and years and years ago, and, you know, you, you rattled off our best place to work awards. And it's really important to me for people to feel valued and feel appreciated for the work that they do, because they are coming to work every day to build this wonderful company. And, and she said, you know, you guys talk about how great this company is and how great we are, but individually, you never, you only tell us the individual things we do wrong. You never specifically Mm. tell us the things that we do right. And, um, you know, whether that was her lens or not, I, it was, it really kind of, you know, hit me in the face and went, huh. And, and she made this point about, you know, correcting every little mistake. And, you know, when we take, well, we take 40,000 phone calls a day and people come to work and they mean well, and occasionally they misspell a name or a phone number, but that's not their MO. We do not need to call them on every little mistake. And so it actually, she actually shaped how it is we determine whether or not we address mistakes or whether we let go. And we, and she also shaped our proactive, you know, um, sort of thinking, um, making sure that we're also acknowledging the things that, that people do specifically well. That's such a great lesson. I remember being told multiple times too, that, you know, a few more attaboys or girls would be, would be warranted, uh, mm-hmm. because we tend to go toward the things that aren't going well and we just mm-hmm. don't qu- often enough say great job or focus mm-hmm. on the positive or, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we ran a call center business, uh, for mm-hmm. many years. So, you know, you've got these very specific programs to monitor and grade calls and everything. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that taught us same kind of lessons on how to really focus on the positive and making a, a good teaching experience where they wouldn't just dread getting that report to look right. at all the bad things that they had done. Yeah. Uh, and what, what a great way that that, that, uh, 
you were able to actually learn that lesson from someone who was kind of walking out the door who you didn't really mm-hmm. necessarily need to listen to or take what mm-hmm. they had, but you did and and you had a, a great lesson there it's, it reminds me just yesterday my daughter was asking me uh, what was the worst experience I ever had when we had to let an employee go and mm. I told her it was I think our second employee and my brother's um, in our original business was an emergency response business and we were there 24-7 uh, responding to people who had medical conditions in their home so one of us slept overnight mm. on a cot and you know we always had to be around so we we our second employee was somebody we hired uh, to man the the cot you know for us and uh, oh come to find out that one day he actually left the premises and went and got a burger, you know, which oh my you gosh. can't you can't do. And mm-hmm. so when I called him up to fire him, you know, he said a big loud "f you" on the phone, and you know that was the end of it. Um, so uh, that was my first experience firing somebody. Um, but uh, but I there are so many lessons to be learned um, from from doing that and doing that the right way. And, and like you said, that the fact that someone is a good performer, bad performer, there's probably some truth to what their perspective is. And uh, you learned a great, a great lesson Mm -hmm. there. Can you think of anything, any time where there was something particularly emotional um, in your learnings or or an event that happened that uh, also shaped uh, your leadership experience? Um, Yeah. And this probably, you know, ties into, what the hardest thing that you have to do as a leader too. Um, and I think you touched on it too, is letting go somebody who was there from the beginning. Um, and early on, and this is all, you know, everything has its lesson. Um, when we were young, people came in as receptionists and then they wanted to step in as we grew and, and take on, um, take on bigger roles. And I had an employee who wanted to be our IT manager um, or handle our IT. And and as a receptionist center, you can imagine that we cannot, our systems cannot be down. We're answering instantly. You know, we're using email and the internet to deliver messages and call records. And, um, and, um, but I, I so wanted to help her be in the career that she wanted to. And, um, at the end of the day, she, she we almost like our like we almost crashed and mm. and were out of business because she wasn't able to um, do what she needed to do in the job. And I felt like a failure because I hadn't set her up for success. I didn't know I wasn't an IT expert, so I didn't know how to train her or what help I needed to get her. But I gave her that position because she won it. And I thought I was doing something good for her. But in reality, I just set her up for failure. So when I had to let her go, and that was one of the very first um, people I ever, you know, people of significance that I have had to let go, um, that was really, really hard. And I felt responsible. Um, and, and yet that wasn't the only time I set somebody up, you know, for failure by not, you know, putting them into some, something that they didn't have a good mentor or leader to do. Um, but I would say those two lessons together now, um, we've adopted this strategy where we'll hire somebody from the outside with the appropriate experience and expertise who also loves mentoring others. And then we can set 
people up for success and get people on a career path because they have somebody to learn from. Um, and that's been a strategy that's allowed us to continue to grow from within. Um, but, but wow, just being, you know, just giving somebody a promotion is not necessarily doing something kind for them if you're not also going to help them grow into that role. Too. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things as an entrepreneur growing a business. And we want to hire and grow from within. But but the reality is that sometimes the company outgrows some of the mm-hmm. talent that we have. And with all good intentions, and it's not like you, you set somebody up for failure on purpose, uh, you, you actually uh, saw them as someone who was capable of doing more. And, and mm-hmm. you really gave them an opportunity. But we don't really look ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, but what are we going to do to support them? in that Mm -hmm. role. Uh, Do we even have the experience ourselves or do we even have it Mm in-house to be able to train them? And when things go bad, we're blaming them instead of realizing that we could have made them uh, more prepared for that job. And uh, so I I think that's just something that you go through and and, and actually even the, uh, the transition to realizing that at some point, you do need to bring in outside talent and have uh-huh. a mixture of inside and outside. And and while I don't know what your experience was, when when I first started doing that, the folks inside, of course, felt threatened. Like, why are you doing that? You're you're not about growing your own people. And and but I approached it the way you described. It said those folks are going to bring the experience and the willingness to mentor and grow you in a way that I can't. Uh-huh. And uh, and once they if there was trust there and they and that trust had been built over time, then I think they were open to that and at least gave them the opportunity to thrive. Did you see that same dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. And today we have um, people in, like, for example, we have people in product management. I didn't even know such a career existed, you mm-hmm. know, and that's because of just like you said, we bring people in who do create those opportunities. And um and so, yeah, so today there's, we have all, we have something like six people that started as receptionists that are in IT. Um, so, um, yeah, so, you know, you can, you can recover from that and, and, uh, and see it work. Yeah. And if I remember correctly from you participating in our other program that virtually mm-hmm. your whole leadership team, they all started off as receptionists, right? of our managers and leaders did today, the executive leadership team now over the, and that's, you know, that's one of these bittersweet things over time. Like you say, growing with the company today, the actual executive leadership team, only two of us started as receptionists, including myself. Oh, okay. All right. Um, that's right. That's part of growth and, and realizing that there's always going to be a combination and that shouldn't be uh, threatening to people. And, yeah. and maybe you've already covered this in the couple uh, situations, but it, uh, any other real humbling experience where, where you realize, wow, I still have a lot to learn? Oh, I have those all the time. (laughs) Even today, I have a CEO coach who actually just before this call, I was meeting with her and, you know, like, what is my role as the CEO? It's one of the fun things about being, you know, in a growing company is your role changes all the time. And what is expected of you when you're the, you know, the, the hands on everything and wearing every hat to what is it when you have a seasoned, um, experienced qualified executive leadership team who's gone where you've never gone before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and probably that was my biggest, that was my most humbling experience is that after 
the updated transaction. I started to build out the leadership team and I was attracting wonderful, wonderful talent. Um, but I was still probably managing the way I was used to managing, which is, Hey, this is my vision. Do, you know, a little bit more directive, certainly more, uh, in the weeds. And, um, I did not realize it. And, and this is, um, I, and this is actually why I have the CEO coach, but there was, a, I guess, almost a year and a half ago, um, or maybe it was closer to a year, my whole leadership team had lost faith in me and lost, We like, they were not feeling supported by me. They felt like I was not letting them own their organization. And um, it actually made it to the board and who, you know, finally I got to learn this. Um, I was walking around um, ignorant of it, but yes, it was incredibly, incredibly humbling that, that, um, that the people that directly reported to me were losing faith in my, um, ability to lead them. And it was, I mean, it was, it was really, really a moment of, of self-reflection. Yeah. And, well, let's talk more about that. How did that, yeah. um, how did that get to you? Uh, and how did they decide to bring that to the board? Yeah. Well, it went very, uh, poorly. I, you know, I, I do think, you know, I was just like, how can I create an environment where, um, where, you know, these kinds of things don't have to be a, a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, it, how it ended up happening, um, um, it just sort of through a discussion I had with one of the team members, I could tell that something was weird. And then I started probing and then, you know, and then he let me know that, you know, there were people that had actually, um, voiced frustration, um, to the board. And, and then I, um, and then I just met with each of them and said, I, you know, I, I just like, I, I've heard this. I want to understand. I, and then, you know, I am going, and then after I heard everything, I, I had this sort of, okay, well, this is what I, I need to recover from. This is not who I want to be. Um, and then let them know, Hey, I heard you. This is what I think I heard. This is, um, this is what I'm going to do to do better. Um, in order to move forward, I do need to, you know, do I have your faith in me mm-hmm. that I'm going to give it a try? Cause you're going to have to be on my team. Like, you know, if you think I, if I burn bridges and if I, you know, if there's too little too late, it's not going to work. But if you're willing to watch me, you know, try to grow from this and, you know, and when I do judge me from, from that, not from my past and let me be your leader still, then it can work. Um, so it was, it was actually really great. And, and, you know, even on, you know, on, there was a mutual, there was just all kinds of learning all around, not just for me, but for the team and how do we say the things that need to be said so that, you know, they're not huge surprises. Um, the board was incredibly like they had never mentioned it to me because they're like, Oh, you know, we get this kind of <laughs> stuff all the yeah, time. And yeah. generally, you know, people, um, you know, when you start holding someone accountable for, you know, they, they, I don't know, they, they were, um, 
they were supportive of me as, as usual. Um, but it was really more like, I don't, I don't want to have a team that doesn't feel, you know, like I'm their, their leader. And so, um, again, that's why I have the CEO coach today. And, and, and I am somebody who I, I love, I love like kind of being at the bottom because, you know, that's where you get to see progress. You get to like dig yourself out and conquer things and be better and learn. And, um, and I, I have heard, and you can, you know, query my team. Um, we are all in a much, much better place, um, than ever before since. Well, I, you know, I bet, I bet you are. Um, and that is, that is a really important experience. And kind of when you get past the hurt of, well, why didn't they come to me directly? Or why didn't mm-hmm. I have that trust? Or, and the, mm-hmm. on top of, well, what did I, where am I failing? So to speak, you know, mm-hmm. what am I doing wrong? Uh, mm-hmm. once you ha- had those conversations, I, I gotta believe it was, uh, it was really impactful for you and the mm-hmm. team. If you think about the, you know, one or two things that you heard from them that, mm-hmm. that you concluded, okay, Jill, I need to do this differently. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what would those be? Um, that I needed to let go and let other mm. people be the creatives, um, and that, you know, when you hire key leaders in key positions, that it's not really no, it's, you can set the vision, but if you're not letting them, you know, be able to own their own, um, sort of soup to nuts, you know, here's their vision. This is, you know, how they think problems should be solved. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, if you don't empower them to to feel like they have ownership of their organization, they're, they're going to be, um, dissatisfied. That's what mm-hmm. real, you know, the, they're leaders themselves. So they want to be able to lead in their own way. So really getting out of their way, um, not dictating how something should be done or not even necessarily dictating what the most important thing is, is to allow support them in, in helping them, help you understand what the most important thing is and then, and then supporting them in that. It, it, that's been the, the biggest transition from being, um, a leader of people who you grew yourself from receptionists to a group of leaders that you hired from outside who have something new to teach you. You have to lead them differently. That's right. And the fact that you're, you maintain having a CEO coach and you're just so open and positive about that, it only continues to make you better. Uh, and uh, have continued learnings, and I'm sure that means a lot to the the team as well. And um, mm-hmm. I know things have gotten much better, which it, it sounds like they have. Um, but as you look back, you know, e- even in the last few years, what would you say maybe is the toughest decision you've had to make? Mm, that is okay. The toughest decision. Um, there have been a couple of people who were there along the way that. I had to ask to no longer be a part of the leadership team and, um, they're still here today and in different roles. And, um, I think that that is a a very hard thing to do. Any, all of the hardest decisions have to do with disappointing other people. That's just how I am. Um, Well, and many, you know, when that situation comes up and we, you know, I don't know if you call it a demotion or we make mm-hmm. someone, you know, take them off of, from being a, a leader and make them an individual contributor or, um, 
I, I sometimes I wonder, is that really possible? And I and I can think in my own company, or even when I was working for a large company, there, there were a couple successes there. Uh, didn't always work, but have you been able to find, mm-hmm. you know, after the initial tough transition, that mm-hmm. that's been that's worked out best for everybody? Yeah, I mean, there are in in. I think one of the biggest learning lessons over the past few years is, you know, when people say, oh, somebody doesn't grow with a company or they, you know, they, the company outgrows them that you think that they're just not skilled enough, but, but that's not what it is at all. It's just a different kind of work. And if somebody, like you said, is an individual contributor and you're a small company and you're a leader, you know, getting things done and being an executor is the most important thing when you're 400 person company, you do not want your leaders, you know, executing and doing all mm-hmm. the administrative work. And so if you can find a place where someone can be really, really valuable, that really aligns with their skills, um, and they, they accept it and, and it takes, it, it takes more from them than it does you. I, I, you know, I think it's really a testament to the people mm-hmm. that are willing to go, yeah, I recognize that this suits my skills better. I recognize that I'm happier here. I recognize I'm more successful here. Um, that's, that's on, you know, a testament to them, but we, yes, we have it. And we, we actually do it, um, at, at different levels of the organization It happens quite frequently where someone will step in from the receptionist role into a cultivator role, which is a frontline manager. And, and then, um, and then they'll realize that it's not working for them and they will willingly go back and be a, you know, a killer receptionist again. That happens actually quite a bit. I think that's great. I think that's great. That shows uh, a lot of trust as well. And as you think about, you said, it's really even in these last few years uh, where you understood what it meant to be a leader, uh, where you were even challenged by your own team. And and so how have you been able to now, in the, especially in the last couple of years, maintain that openness, being accessible, yes. being authentic yes. with your team? Yes. Well, that's funny that you say accessible because um, at a meeting yesterday, as feedback got back to me that, you know, people wish they had more time with mm-hmm. me. We're now in three locations. And and I, I'm fighting that because now I feel like I am trying to willingly um, elevate the rest of the leadership team to be perceived as the, you know, to be the ones that people go, oh, you know, they're, you know our CMO just spent the day at the Beaverton office, you know, how great is that? And have them be the ones that are looked to us, you know, gosh, they are the leaders of the the company. And that's how we survive. And the culture survives is it's more than just one, you know, CEO leader. Um, But I think the willingness to, um, to, be who you are and the willingness to admit mistakes and the willing and and clearly articulate mistakes and and to and to be a learner and to be curious um, and to never think you have it all figured out because you do not like the mm-hmm. day you think everything is just fine on all cylinders you know tomorrow is bringing some you know some fire and um, but but I think it's very easy I think to remain authentic because. Um, I think authentic is, is what helps you learn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, the, uh, it's great to have gone through, um, all of those, 
situations and be be now open uh, or more open, I will tell you that um, the idea that people would look to others, uh, as you would hope, to be leaders who they want to be more visible, the idea that they still want Jill will never go away. I mean, you you are the you still are the person at the top. You still are that person that people look to. And uh, whether you have three locations or five or 10, the, the days when you show up are still going to be special days. Uh, you, you can't, you can't, you, that's not something you can ever quite delegate, but you should take yes. that, you know, with a sense of pride. And sure. uh, it just, it means a lot to people. So with yes. all these lessons that you continue to learn, yes. if you had to pick one thing as the most important quality mm-hmm. to be a leader, what would it be? And that's, that's a tough one, but I think more than anything, if you are a leader, especially if you're an effective leader, it's to have a very clear vision of where you want to take your followers. Mm. Um, because if you do not know where you're going or what it is, what, what is the purpose of being a good leader too? So, um, first and foremost is to have that vision and have that, that purpose and that why. I think that's a a great one. And I'm not sure anybody's framed it that way um, on our podcast before. So I I love that. Um, So now you're, you're talking to somebody that's maybe fresh out of school, like you were a long time ago, just starting out their career uh, and said, Jill, I want to just do what you're doing uh, one day. What would you tell them? What kind of advice would you offer them? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a, a great question, too. And it does tie back to this whole time we've had together about leadership and how, um, you know, I actually don't think that I'm unique, that it took my entire career to learn that really leadership isn't even necessarily the most important thing. It's almost the only thing. And especially people that want to be an entrepreneur like me and have an idea, you get excited about the business idea and you're a doer and you make it all happen, but you will not get where you're going without a team of people. And so even in, in business schools and all the different entrepreneur organizations that are out there that help startups, very, very little is focused on how to become a leader. And, and so I, I would suggest, um, you know, making leadership itself, um, its own learning track throughout, throughout your Mm. career, because you, you can't get where you want to go without inspiring others to help you get there. Yeah. I think that's a great message. Um, great for young people to really learn, learn that and uh, spend more time with that. And maybe a message also to our academic organizations to spend a little bit Mm -hmm. more time, um, training that, uh, Mm -hmm. to the extent that people actually go to school to, to learn this stuff. But I, I would also argue that, uh, you know, you, me, others like us, uh, we learn on the job. That's uh, we, right. we learn making mistakes and figuring it out and, and keeping going. That's so, uh, true. all right. Well, I want to end with just uh, something we do, which is uh, just some very quick questions that uh, I want you to react to and just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, okay. So, uh, all right. Name a famous leader you look up to Henry Ford. Ah, good one. Um, <laughs> I was just in Detroit a couple weeks ago. Uh, going through a resurgence. Name a great book that influenced your leadership style. Um, Far and Away, The Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish. Great. Uh, what's your favorite all-time movie? Thelma and Louise. Oh, that, there was just an article about Brad Pitt 
getting that role. Oh, I saw uh, that. Did you see that and yesterday? And Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. almost getting that role. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how would that even work? I know. I know. That's funny. That's a great movie. All right. So now you're stranded on an island. You get to take one thing with you. What would it be? Oh, my gosh. Um, and it can't be a person. <laughs> it could be. Um, uh, oh, well then and now I can't choose. So um, how about a book on meditation? Oh, all right. That's wonderful. Um, and uh, I think we've learned a lot about you and you've been very open and transparent. But what's something about you that most people, even those that may know you well, don't know? Um, if I had any talent at all, I would have not been an entrepreneur. I would have been a professional dancer. Wow. All right. Do you do any dancing now? Over yeah. time, I've tried just a little bit of everything from Scottish Highland dancing as a kid to um, ballroom dancing and salsa dancing uh, in the in recent years. Wow. So good, I love it you. all. Good for you. Uh, well, that's great. You know, Jill, I, I, there's so much to be taken from this conversation. I, I want to share a couple takeaways uh, before we close that I had from this, um, just based on your experiences. I think even from talking about whether it's listening to your own team or listening to private equity firms that call you, just being open, uh, being open to conversations, being open to learning, uh, being vulnerable is is something that's really important. I think the, the message from your mom is unbelievable, this idea mm. that um, that we're, I'm not going to allow a coloring book. And it's not so much the practice of that, but the idea that, you know, life is a blank canvas. And, and mm-hmm. her message was, I want you to draw based on your own creativity uh, mm-hmm. and come up with what's important to you and what fulfills you. I just think that's an incredible message. Yes. Um, I think that this kind of value of which I, I to me, could be the only value we need is keep your promises, do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fact that, that, uh, we never have the perfect team that we're always, what one of my mentors used to say, we're always weeding the garden, so to speak, and, and making mm-hmm. sure that we have the right people in the right seats at the right time. And sometimes that means tough decisions. Sometimes that means mm-hmm. moving people around. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, you're never there. It's a, it's a constant mm-hmm. journey. And, uh, and lastly, just, I think that the learning never stops. I think, you know, you called yourself maybe a late bloomer, um, I think that maybe I wouldn't call you a late bloomer. I think you might have been late in terms of being in your business to understand what leadership really meant. And even people mm-hmm. today who I talk to about culture, they say, well, what's culture about? I said, it's just leadership. It's all about mm-hmm. how someone leads the company. And with all the things you've learned, let's not let's go back to all these incredible awards that you've won as a best place to work. You were recently awarded the um, Ernst and um, Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, incredible in your region. So, you know, you're having great success. And uh, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate you doing um, this for all the other uh, entrepreneurs and leaders out there. It's super, um, it's very inspiring what you do. Well, thank you so much, Jill. And thank Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time.